Dave Fanning on 2FM. Now, we all have our own desert island discs, that handful of songs that transport us back to special times in our lives, capturing a mood perfectly and helping to tell our stories. Celebrating 80 years of the BBC's most iconic radio show, The Definitive Desert Island Discs, that's the name of the book I have in my hand. It revisits some of the most remarkable and unforgettable of those life stories, song by song and memory by memory. And the man who's written the book, the man who was asked by the BBC to put it all together, is Ian Gittens. And Ian Gittens is with us now. Ian, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Good to speak to you. And good to talk to you too. Let's take a look at what this is. First of all, here's one, right? What is Desert Island Discs exa- exactly? It's a show that's been running for 80 years, as you say, uh, in which if a, a noted person, a castaway, is asked to choose eight records. If, they, if they're going to get cast away on an island for the rest of their life, they can only take eight records, they'd have a working record player. What would they take? What are their, what are their, their favourite records? Okay, so songs that bring us back to special times in our lives and the music yes. obviously helps big time to tell those stories, doesn't it? It does, it does. Um, and it's, it's amazing how much music is interwoven in your life all the time. And, and you can hear a certain song and it brings flooding back where you were when you first heard it, what you were doing, who you were dating, and it's, it's like you were there again suddenly. Right, indeed, indeed. Now, so look, I mean, like you've included stories, by the way, not included in the original broadcast. Tell me about that. Well, uh, some of the older broadcasts, the Roy Plumley ones from back in the day, uh, the, the, the audio didn't survive anymore. Yeah. So we, we had the transcript, the, 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 literally the transcript of what was said in, in 1948 or whatever, you know. Um, and some of them are fantastic. Tallulah Bankhead, the iconic old American actress, yeah. she turned absolutely hammered. She could hardly talk. And some of the answers she gave were deeply entertaining, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it an interesting kind of little sideways look at some of the old stuff that happened. Well, what you've done is you've given an intro into 80 different people. You've got, because of 80 years, you've got 80 chapters and you can dip in and out of the book at any one given time. Um it is, like, a lot of the people I wouldn't necessarily know, although I would know a lot of the ones that you have in the book, but out of whatever it is, 3,500 castaways, um, yeah. I feel as though I can hear the person's voice a lot. Would that be something that, you, you, like, you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, you try and capture them. You try and make it sound like them. And I think you're right. Some of the more interesting castaways weren't the famous ones. I mean, Tom Hanks was on, and that was a really interesting episode. But three weeks later, there was a guy called David Knott, who nobody was probably heard of, but he's a... He's a surgeon, NHS surgeon, who goes to the world's war zones. He goes to Iraq and he went to Kosovo and he goes to Afghanistan and he's currently in the Ukraine. Uh, and he operates right on the front line. He talked about being in hospitals and operating on, on, on children who've been blown apart by bombs that have destroyed their homes. Um, and suddenly the hospital starts getting bombed and he's got to think, do I carry on, save this child's life? Do I run and save my own life? And it was an extraordinary thing to, to listen to. Now, listen, look, I mean, like, as I say, the interviews can be quite confessional. Um, besides the shipping forecast and the daily service, it's the longest running programme on the BBC, etc. I mean, at one stage, when you define it in the book, you say all of human life is there. Is that what your research really did show you? It did. It really it very much showed that. Um, one guy I interviewed for the book was um, Russell T. Davis, the, yeah. the, the screenwriter. And he said a fantastic quote. He said, whenever people ask him, what do, you know, what, what, how do you be a writer? He always says, anyone can write about chases and explosions and monsters and detectives and murders and ghosts. But what you must do as a writer is understand the human soul, why people do things, what built them, what they're capable of. And he said, that's what Desert Island Discs does. It lays open the person's life. And there's nothing more dramatic or interesting or beautiful than that. Desert Island Discs is an amazing show for that reason. 
Right, indeed. And just taking a look at some of the ones that I was looking at there and just some of the things that came through. Um, Ricky Gervais, I love the fact that he has such empathy for David Brent. I would be absolutely the same thing. A horrible person, David Brent, in so many ways. But he just wants to be loved. And this is the point that that, that David gets. He just goes about it the wrong way. Um, also, yeah. the Bowie is his hero and his kind of previous life. It's fascinating, all the stuff that he's done in rock and roll and music and all the rest of it. But um, Martina Navratilova, um, George Michael, uh, Billie Jean King, I mean, the outing of their sexuality came out in these interviews in a way that had never come out before. Yes, because they've probably never been asked before. So directly, unless it was by tabloid media who had their own Milan agenda about it. It was the first time somebody honestly said to them, with, with good in their heart, what was it like to come out? And they all seemed really relieved to discuss the experience. I mean, Martina's backstory, it's just bizarre, jaw-dropping it is, you know, like she's sw- swimming ashore. All, all these mad things, like defecting from behind the Iron Curtain, etc., all of these things. Um, it is like a mad story that just, detail by detail, it seems that when the presenter is asking the questions sometimes, like be it Ray Plumley at the beginning, or Michael Parkinson, or Sue Lawley, or Kirsty Young, or Lauren Laverne, that they're as shocked or they're as amazed as, like, you know, the listener might be. Sometimes. Also, interestingly, Dave, I noticed doing this book, the interview approach really changed over the years. Roy, Roy Plumley was very formal. He's a bit like him on the fast show, Mr. Chomney Warner. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, he, he had a uh, Norman Wisdom on uh, one year. Um, he said to him, well, Norman, um, so you, you had quite a difficult childhood then. And Norman Wisdom said, well, I'd say that again. My dad used to beat me up and then he chucked me out of the house and then I was homeless for a couple of years. And Roy Plumley went, Oh dear, what's your next record? <laughs> yeah, and in fact, that's something about the programme that kind of annoys me a bit, where you have to get through a certain amount of records. And also this business of Shakespeare and the Bible, I've no real interest in that part of it at all myself. Um, One of the people turned down Shakespeare. Terry Wogan didn't want Shakespeare. It's a terrible, boring thing to read. He didn't want anything to do with it. And a few people have turned down the Bible over the years, a few atheists. Right, atheist and, uh, what do you call it? Um, Ricky Gervais made quite sure that he was known as an atheist in his interview. Terry Wogan mentioned the, the fact that he was a he worked in a bank in Ireland beforehand. Yes, and, and, and he gets asked by, I think he was interviewed by Sue Lawley, uh, who asked him why, why he wasn't religious. And he said, well, I was raised by Jesuits, they beat it out of me. Right, yeah, something along those lines, yeah. And Adele, I mean, she her song titles, I mean, the ones she picked, she picked uh, a, uh, the B-52s, Gabrielle. I mean, she picked, like, Nina Simone. And she's she's very honest, though, in a lot of interviews anyway, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, I think Adele, what you see is what you get. And it made it a very good episode. So I think when she went on, she just had to delay those performances in Las Vegas. And she was being torn to pieces by the media. And she was clearly very upset about it. And she talked very openly about that. And that was a good episode. Yeah, I mean, like people do refer to the island itself. You're meant to be a castaway, and castaway is mentioned quite a bit, and swimming ashore, and being alone on an island, etc. I mean, Bono says, you know, he starts off by saying, you know, well, if I'm going to wake up on an island, and then his stories start. And of course, something huge came out of the Bono interview I have a half brother. Yeah, that was a huge thing. Which he had, he'd known it for 20 years, apparently, and he kept it quiet, and he chose it to Ireland Discs when his book was coming out to. To announce it to the world and got a lot of um, a lot of attention. It also was one of the first times he spoke about you know his medical procedure of five or six years ago that was absolutely huge because at the time he was getting his book together anyway and yet you can read that in the first forty pages of the book. But this was one of the yeah. first times we heard all about that. We had not known what it was. The health scare, for instance. Yeah, yeah, no, he did talk a lot about that. He seemed he seemed to quite enjoy opening up. I thought. 
Yeah, indeed. Now, also Sharon Horgan. You have Sharon Horgan. I'm just, I'm just jumping around here. Of who, by the way, we're talking to um, Ian Gittins, who's written the definitive Desert Island Discs book, which is out now, and uh, you know the BBC, BBC Radio Four, that is. Um, Sharon Horgan's choice of music. I mean, David Bowie, The Smiths, uh, Mick Christopher, who a lot of people outside Ireland might know too well, but very famous here, and especially in Dublin music circles. The Fall, The Charlatans, Metronomy, Arcade Fire. She went for it, mm-hmm. didn't she? Well, I guess she's, you know, our generation, roughly speaking. And there's been a, a survey recently found that most people on Desert Island Discs um, tend to choose music from their teens and their early oh, 20s. Yeah. No question. That come in your life when you're obsessed with music. And, and, and it's quite a big thing to buy a record. You have to save your pocket money, buy the record, and you play it to death, you know the track listing. And that's what people go back to. Most people are choosing things from their, from their youth. What artist or what musical, whatever, has been featured most? I presume it's the Beatles, is it? Because yeah, the Beatles. It's kind of the obvious ones. We the Beatles been a lot of Elvis. Um, uh, classically, a lot of Beethoven, Mozart, Bach. The obvious, the obvious people, really. I guess. Have you any idea what actual track or song or whatever a piece has been requested most? Uh, no, I think it, it is a Beatles song. I forget which one it was. It's one of the Beatles songs. A book came out about ten years ago called um, Flotsam and Jetsam, and it was basically the, the, that's the definitive. Um, minutiae of Desert Island Discs or exactly all the information And the 80 guests that you picked over 80 years what made you pick them like how did you pick those 80 I just tried to get a cross section really yeah. um, and then interestingly Desert Island Discs the first mostly the Royal Plumley years the first 40 something years it was nearly all white men it was nearly all white men occasionally you'd get uh, visiting American actresses uh, but nowadays, of course, you know, I mean, in, in the recent years, they've had, uh, you know, we had, we had um, Dorian Lawrence in the book. We had Adab Sharif, who's an Egyptian novelist, um, whole range of backgrounds, whole range of nationalities and really trying to do that. But at the same time, making it the most interesting ones, not putting in people for token value. They have to be interesting, interesting castaways. Yeah, of course. And like you've written so much, Ian, down through the years, Melody Maker and Q and Time Out and The Telegraph, The New York Times and stuff and books on Bjork and Talking Heads and Motley Crue and David Essex and everything else. One person you know very well is uh, Cliff Richard. Um, now, Cliff, yeah. like Cliff has done a couple of times, I think. Cliff as a callow youth, if you like, and Cliff as a much <laughs> older person. What was the difference? He went on age 20 and he went on aged 80. Wow. Um, and he said, well, he, said he, he enjoyed the second time a lot more because he was more relaxed. He wasn't trying so hard to impress. And also he had more stories, had more things. He had a lot more life to talk about. Uh, and it's just a, it's a different thing, isn't it? In your youth, you're on your, you're on your nerve ends. You're trying to impress all the time. You're insecure. You're trying too hard. In old age, you just let things happen to you. And I think he enjoyed the second broadcast a lot more. OK, but also, like, you know, what, what's this, the phrase? The, 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 the ultimate drama, it lays open a person's life. There's something about playing your favourite music that makes you open a can of worms that you might not have done before. What's that Noel Coward saying? The, 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 the potency of cheap music, is it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the memories that you have caught up in, in, in a chord sequence or just an opening riff are extraordinary. And the piece of music that opens it, is that the same as back in the Roy Plumley days? Or like, like I, mean, I know he did about 30 or 40 years of this. Is it the same piece of music, is it? It's never changed. In fact, some of the castaways for this book, some of the people I re-interviewed about their times on the show, yes. what it was like. Uh, John Lumley, John Lumley was one. Um, and she talked about when she was a child, she lived in Malaya because her father was with the Gurkhas, he was military. And she remembers being um, five or six years old, lying on a camp bed, hearing that, hearing that music wafting out of her mum's radio while her mum was sewing her school uniform. It's been the same song forever. 
Wow, yeah, indeed. And also, I mean, like, just tell me, who's Vic Oliver and who's Captain A.E. Jingle? Vic Oliver was an Aus- Austrian comedian and actor. He was the first ever person on uh, on Desert Island Discs in 1942. He's not in this book, but yes. Captain A.E. Dingle is. He's an extraordinary guy. Who Ca- Captain A.E. Dingle is a castaway. He is a castaway. He, he, he basically, I don't want to say he's a pirate, I don't want to smirch the guy, but he was he was a sailor. Uh, and he'd go off on these little kind of one-man or two-man missions to try and find treasure. He's like a character out of um, Rudyard Kipling, basically. Um, uh, and once he went out with this other guy, they hired a little schooner, and they went out to try and find a sunken ship with treasure on it, and they didn't find it, and they got capsized themselves. And they spent 11 weeks on a desert island, during which time they found another ship there that had been capsized with, with hundreds of, of gold sovereigns on it. Yeah, it's, it's a bizarre story that you have there, <laughs> like in terms of your introduction and then the actual interview stuff itself. It's just mad. Now, George yeah. Michael, he, in 2007, he, he, he said at one stage, and I, this is a sentence I say that happens a lot on Desert Island Disc, I've never said this before, but it's odd, dot, dot, dot. There's a lot of that, yeah. isn't there? There is. I think... A lot of celebrities, first of all, don't like doing big confessional interviews. Why should they? It's painful for them. They want to keep things to themselves or they want to keep it for their life story. Um, and, of course, they don't trust it. If they're talking to a newspaper, a tabloid, or even some of the broadsheets, they're going to think, well, how is it going to get twisted? What are they going to make of this? You know, So they get quite wary. Desert Island Discs, first of all, it's, it's an iconic show. It's a sympathetic host who's on their side. And they know what they say will be heard. The words aren't going to get twisted. Yeah. And it's sort of like a once-in-a-lifetime chance to say, okay, this is me, this is what made me. Quite a few people, Davina McCall, who I interviewed again when she'd been on the show, um, said that she'd always thought of herself as a very, a very lightweight, fluffy person, really, and a heavyweight child does it all in just She didn't believe she was asked. She was so surprised to be asked. And she went on and told an extraordinary tale about a neglectful mother who used to kind of take her out clubbing when she was nine years old, and the mum would go out just in a fur coat and nothing beneath it and spend the time flashing people, and Davina talked about her years of addiction, heroin addiction in her teens. Uh, it was an extraordinary piece of, 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 um, of broadcasting. And you uh, wouldn't have heard it anywhere but Desert Island Discs, I don't think. Yeah, and I've read the biography of George Michael. And in just one short interview that you've got in this book here, you do mm. get the impression of something, all right, that like he really did spend years trying to derail his own career. And when you hear it in his own words, you realise he really has yeah. done that. Like certainly money meant nothing to him. Yeah, that's true. I think also the, the important thing was he was talking to, to Kirsty Young. I think of all the presenters over the years, the five, she probably was the absolute don, the, the acme of it really. And she was so good at getting things out of people in a really gentle, supportive, sympathetic way that people opened up to her. I mean, the, the woman doing it now, Kim, Lowen the Vern, is very, very good. Before those two, it was a bit of a different approach, really. Sue Lawley had got, Sue Lawley's really trying to catch, it's a bit of a gotcha approach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to, Trying to sort of wheedle things out of people, I think, to a degree. Where the two people since then have been a lot more kind of warm and sympathetic, and I think get better interviews as a, as a consequence. And by the way, at the end of every chapter, you you, you tell us all the songs that they picked you. Like Bruce Springsteen took uh, the Beatles and the Stones, and uh, yeah. wait a minute now, and Elvis and Madame George by Van Morrison. And that just as a matter of interest in the program, if you have to play Madame George, do they play the full Madame George? No, they tend to play two or three minutes. I think yeah. online. Online, that's probably not even that much. About a minute on the show, and then when you go to the, when you go to the online show, you can hear the whole song sometimes. But um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's a, a thirty or thirty-five minute show, and songs are three minutes long. If they play them all, it wouldn't be time for the for the interviews. 
No, of course not. Yeah, like there's some great ones there. Judy Dench and Joan Collins, Joanna Lumley, Marianne Faithful is good too. And uh, as I mentioned, Sharon Horgan, and you, you put it into the perfect situation of just the kind of person she is. From 2006 to the current day, the prolific Irish woman has created and co-written a succession of Scabbers TV comedies, including Pulling, Catastrophe, Motherland and Divorce. Um, the feature uh, that featured thoroughly modern women living their best lives on the verge of a nervous breakdown and then she kind of when you then look at the interview or read the interview you realise oh yeah and her first choice Rock and Roll Suicide by David Bowie uh, like she's yeah. really funny in it she's great because she finally kind of got the success that she obviously deserved um, well, yeah, until that show, I didn't realise until that, that show that she had 10 years to do nothing much she moved to London yeah. she was working in a, a, a job centre uh, um, and she said she was there for about five or six years, hating it. And she only left because one day her manager said to her, can you go and clean up outside? It was a bit of a mess outside of the job centre. And she went and somebody had taken a crap outside the job centre, <laughs> which she had to clean up. She thought, I've had enough of this now. It's time to do something else, you know. So success, I think because success came to her quite late, she's really pursued it and she's been very prolific and she's really worked at it. And she's great. She's very talented. Yeah, and one of the later ones you have in the book would be Kate Moss, who picked Soul to Soul. Now, she picked her white a shade of pale, but by King Curtis, for God's sake. And then Harvest Moon, one of, one of the Neil Young songs I don't like. But she has Life on Mars as well. And then she picks The Velvet Underground and and, and, and The Rolling Stones. It is, like, you can easily go to the end of each chapter. Oh, I wonder what the... F That's where I start, by the way, Ian. I say, what songs did so-and-so pick? You know, Because it's amazing. It's like... It's like being back at school. If you saw somebody with an album that was crap, you'd immediately say, well, that person is crap. <laughs> <laughs> You're a true, a true music man, starting with the records. Yeah, right, exactly. I'm working on my way up. All right, well, listen, look, Ian, congratulations. What are you working on at the moment? I'm just starting, I'm on the Cliff book. I'm just back from Barbados, got the interviews, so I'm just starting to write that one now. And how's Cliff in Barbados? Is he doing okay? He's doing great. He's doing really, really well. He's 82 now. He's having a fantastic life. He's, he's playing more days at Christmas. He doesn't want to retire. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna wind things down a little bit, but not retire. No, indeed. And uh, like, had he, has he ever got over what the BBC did to him a few years ago? He has. He said he's got, he's got a line that uses quite a lot, which is uh, he hasn't got over it, but he's got past it. He, he's living his life again now. He said he'll, never, he'll never quite recover from the damage that he did, the emotional damage he did to him. I mean, he, yeah. he nearly killed him. No, it really did. He said he'd wake up in the night, always 3.15 a.m., all at the same time every morning, with his heart beating like crazy. His pulse, he, he thought he'd have a heart attack, you know? He, he, I mean, he was 73 years old when it happened, the poor old guy. Yeah, um, yeah. He yeah. It, it left his mark on him, for sure. Okay, well, listen, this has left its mark on me, and will again. I will pick it up from the coffee table and say, oh, I must read about this person. The definitive BBC Radio 4 Desert Island Discs is the title of the book that's out now. It's a show about love, as it says on the cover here from The Guardian, and Ian Gittens has put the whole thing together. The foreword is by Lauren Laverne herself. So, Ian, thank you so much indeed, and good luck with all the writing about the fabulous Cliff. Thank you, Dave. Dave Fanning on 2FM.